Well, you may have picked up, you you could be in trouble. I've been a history teacher and a pastor, and I've got an extra hour this morning. Let's pray. Lord, for most of us, we sang that song, and we do want to be your faithful follower, and, and we want you to lead us, and we have a lot of problems with that in our own way and in the culture that's been thrown at us. And for those seeking today, we pray that they may find the shepherd, the eternal shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Top of the morning to you. Now, I think we have, yeah, we've got it up there. If you know what that means, you probably grew up in Ireland in the late 1800s. 23 Skidoo. Does anyone know 23 Skidoo from a history teacher? Because everyone in 1923 would have known what 23 Skidoo was. And don't look it up, but check it later. 23 Skidoo. By the way, the 20s were very interesting. Everything changed, and it's important you see that change to understand how the 23rd Psalm fits into what I hope the Lord is leading me to say to When the 1910 census was done in America, we were still a rural society. When the 1920 census was done, we were just barely, as World War I shoveled so many people into the cities. But by 1930, we were an urban, we were no longer rural. That makes an incredible difference in understanding the Bible. Because the Bible is written primarily to agricultural people. And the illustrations are one after another of things that we've lost the ability to understand. Therefore, what I'm leading up to is a provocative statement. The Bible's an anachronism, unfortunately. So we, know, we need to know what an anachronism is, and we... By the way, good use can be made of that. But it's very difficult to communicate the Bible now, and I want to take a look at one, one psalm that shows that. And I don't know what my finishing line is. I don't know what I want you to take home. But I know we've all got to take something home from this because the Bible is our communication from God. And if we don't know how to read it and understand it, how can we communicate it to others? So, perspicuity. That's a, that's a theological word. I wouldn't even have run into it if I hadn't gone to seminary. So the Bible is written in a way designed to be understood as intended. Every word I'm speaking to you when, you, when you talk to your wife or your kids, you want every word to be understood because it's a symbol for a truth. And when that doesn't happen, you lose communication. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that, but anachronism we're going to deal with a lot. So I walked in this morning, and a young lady greeted me, and I knew I was going to nail anachronism. This is an anachronism right? So I just want to talk just a little bit about some other anachronisms. Um, See if I can locate those here. Let's do all these with that thing called a telephone. So there are people in here who who have used a crank phone. Anyone? So so have I. The Northern Pacific Railroad, which doesn't exist anymore, part of the Burlington Northern. 
All these things are anachronism in one form or another. There are things that are out of time and place that some people can understand. Many of us cannot understand any because everyone who could is now not living. And then there's things others can't understand. So let me go through a list real quickly. Crank phone, the dial phone, the cell phone. When that came that way, those of us who didn't understand it, we were an anachronism. I submit to you that everyone in here is an anachronism, or if you're not, you will be by tomorrow. You know what I mean? Things are changing so fast, and yet the Bible's truths are steadfast and forever. So how do we handle this? And again, I, I don't know what I want you to take home, except it's got to mean something to every one of us. Because if you're searching, you need to understand how the Bible des describes who you're searching for. And if you've found, you need to be able to read the Bible with a, just a little different perspective. It still can be understood. How about party lines? Who had more than four on a party line? Well, look at all those. Everyone else thinks it's Tupperware. If they still do parties, I don't know if they do. See how things change? Uh, how about, uh, how about, oh, I've got a few here. How about this? Tacoma phone book, 1951. How many phone books are around anymore? Gig Harbor yellow pages still exist. Would a young person know what a yellow pages were? Let's see what the rest of my list. Um, an operator? What is that? Phone booth. I, ran, I just saw somewhere yesterday and found two working phone booths. I didn't know they still existed. Um, Remember when you called, we didn't know what time it was, and you called that time operator? Do you remember that? Nobody would know what that was anymore. And by the way, going the other way, if you want to find out anachronism another way, try to understand your phone. If you're an older person, I don't even buy a smartphone. I, I've, got one of the, I've got a track phone because I'm trying to die without a smartphone. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, but I did find out, I better find out what a QR code is. Because I tried to park in a, in a uh, parking uh, garage in Everett, and I couldn't do it without a QR code. And think of all the other things that are going to stand on our way if we don't do a QR code. I don't even know what it means. So th things are changing that fast. Um, six, my, my phone number was uh, Granite 6878, six numbers. There are people in Gig Harbor who can go back far enough when there are only four numbers in Gig Harbor. Um, all this was true. Long distance, what's long distance? But now let me give it to you the other way, how anachronisms work. LinkedIn, I don't know what it is. How many don't know what LinkedIn is? See, almost everyone knows, but I can tell your age if you raise your hand. Um, Snapchat, I don't, I don't know what Reddit is. I don't know what Toombear is. I don't know WeChat is. I don't know Douyin. I don't know Vimeo or Okoot. You don't know either because you're not responding. Um, so let's do some more related to the phone. This is a little GPS. I brought it along in case I needed it because I don't have a smartphone. This is called a map. How about, how about remember how important these were when you were a kid, some of you? That's called a Sears and Ro Robot catalog. You remember uh, Montgomery Ward as well? And we'd, we'd, we'd save our money and wait and wait and wait for that to be delivered. What's the call today? Amazon, isn't it? And it's immediate. There's another problem. How do you deal in a culture where everything has to be immediate? By the way, 
I don't know if they're still selling them, but in 1909, you could get for $49.85 the Bonanza Wagon Box Manure Spreader. $49.85. And now, this one, if people laugh and participate in this, you want to talk to them because this is one of their most important memories. So if you're about, uh, I, I think you've got to be almost around 70, maybe 65s can do it. So you finish this if you remember how it finished. You're driving down the road with your folks and you're a little kid and you see these red and white signs. She kissed the hairbrush by mistake. She thought it was her husband, Jake. Finish it. Louder. Burma shave. Let me get, these were some of the greatest delights we ever had, and we can't communicate it to anyone. Um, I'll just give you a couple more. Um, if, you, if you want a hearty squeeze, get our female antifreeze. Burma shave. Um, and one of the last ones I remember back about 1963 was the blackened forest smolders yet because he flipped a cigarette. Burma shave. And we used to read them backwards, those will remember. You're so pleased when you go backwards and then recreate them. So this isn't, wasn't meant to be just an entertainment thing, but I want to let you know how fast things change in a time in which we still have to communicate Jesus Christ, who never changes, right? So we'll take a look at one beloved, maybe the most beloved uh, piece in the Bible. But I want to just give you one more. Are any of you fortunate enough to have gone to a one-room schoolhouse? I've got someone has. There's at least three or four, or a two-room. You are fortunate, aren't you? The way they learned and the camaraderie that was there and so on. But none of us are old enough to have read out of a McGuffey reader. And here was the first-grade McGuffey reader just off the bat. Let me, it sounds just pretty much like we have. A cat and a rat, a cat and a rat, the cat, the rat. The cat has a rat, the rat, rat ran it down and so on. At the, at the end, I want to read to you what is at the end. So we've got a breakdown in vocabulary because we don't, we don't use a very large vocabulary anymore. And we've got a breakdown in communication because we don't do a lot of communication anymore. So we've got lots of words, all the ideas in the world that are, are at our expo dis disposal. And yet, you think we communicate well? I would contend not very well at all. So we'll come back to McGuffey's reader at the end. So if I, could, uh, if I could have the 23rd Psalm up there. So I, I've highlighted uh, two or three things. We could highlight the whole point, the whole thing. But what I want to drive across to you is this may be the most beloved thing there is in the Bible. And along with Christmas, one of the few things left for we we to communicate to non-Christians. So when you go to a memorial or a funeral, you'll often sometimes have the 23rd Psalm. But I can contend most of us don't fully understand the 23rd Psalm anymore because we don't live in an agricultural world. We don't live in a world where you don't know when the next water is going to become available. We don't live in a world where there's danger from, from, um, from bandits, from, from weather, from animals, all those things. That, that are found in here. So I've emphasized a couple things. You, one you'll see is shepherd, and one is walk. But there are many others. So I think in a reasonable amount of time, maybe I can go through these. So let, let's read it. It's very similar to, uh, familiar to you. A Psalm of David. And as I understand it, that was in the original Hebrew text. You see a Psalm of David. Sometimes you'll see it's to a, a choir director or someone like that. 
So let's read it. From, and by the way, when, when you read poetry, and this is poems and songs, the King James is a great place to go. Because when you read, let me go back to perspicuity just for a second. So the Bible starts off with the greatest perspicuity, perspicacious, if you want to use an adjective, that we have. In the beginning, God created the heavens. You, you can't get more specific than that, can't you? In fact, that is so specific that the rest of the Bible will rise or fall on it. So if you want to mess around with the virgin birth, you better mess around with Genesis 1-1 first. Because if he couldn't create the earth, create, that means out of absolutely nothing. That's, that's a Hebrew word. It doesn't mean create like we talk about Van Gogh or the Beatles or whatever you want to talk about. It's not taking something that already exists and improving upon it or changing it. It's something that never did exist and now exists. So once you validate Genesis 1-1, you can't have very much problem with virgin birth. And you can't have too much problem with some guy saying he's going to rise out of the grave and he does it. So in other words, when Moses, when that came down to us through Moses and through passing of, of oral um, um, story and so on, that, how could you do any better for an opening? It's perspicacious. It, it, it means exactly what it says in such a way that the entire Bible has to be viewed from that. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but then when you go to poetry, it's doing something else. It's still trying to speak precisely, but it does it with, with beauty and, and magnificence and so on. So, while it doesn't try to be precise in terms of the vocabulary, it will take on more precision than vocabulary can sometimes. So you may have heard this. We, we do a lot with, uh, with, with symbolic language and sayings. So one of the most popular ones that you don't hear as much anymore, but you still hear it, and you can hear it around Washington, it's raining cats and dogs. Well, so I could say, it's really raining hard today. It's pouring down rain. That's good, too. But if I say it's raining cats and dogs, that's such a, an image of the impossible that it emphasizes how hard it's raining. And some of you may know that comes from something real, as do a lot of our sayings, because the British, I'm pretty sure this was British, would build these thatch homes. There was thatch over the top. Thatch wears down. Animals would walk over the top, and when the, when the thatch finally gave through, so did the cats and dogs. So it rained cats and dogs. But whoever thought that up w was able to think of something that forever would become symbolic of an absolute torrential downpour. So it's better than if you said it. It's absurd, but, it, but it, it, it's better than if you, if you just tried to narrate it in some way. So now you have David. First of all, you've got a problem with David right away. David's a king. What do we think of kings in America? We fight revolutions against kings. Well, now, I like sweet little Elizabeth, and I miss Elizabeth, but she's not the, the image of the king that you would have biblically. Everyone understood what a king was, what kind of power he could wield, and, and the, there was no question of what a king was. And when a king was a benevolent, loving king, what an incredible thing to say. So, Let's look at, uh, let's leave that behind, but think of how many times in your Bible you're going to run in kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Kingdom. Do you want his kingdom? Well, if you want your kingdom, you're asking for that shepherd. 
who, who also is not only a lamb, but a lion. So you don't want all that? That's the king you're going to get. Um, so right off, we won't talk, talk anymore about that, but we know it's by David, and he seems to have been absolutely quite, quite humbled for a king because he says there's something that there's a king that I have. And he calls him a lamb. He, he calls him, he, he refers to, to sheep. Now, most of us may see a, a, a herd of sheep in passing somewhere in the car, but we've never experienced sheep. Most of us, unless you're incredibly old, don't have the, the open market where they're hanging there on a rack. We, it makes us un, uh, have a hard time understanding Passover when they kill all the lambs. Because we don't experience that, having a lamb in our house and they kill it to, for forgiveness of sins. If you have that, you might be able to better understand your shepherd who died for you, who shed blood for you. So let's go back and look at some of these. Right off the bat, the Lord, it's, it, when you see it capitalized, this is not just God. This is a word that Jews will not even pronounce when they're, do, when, when they're saying his name. This is a so-called Yahweh. And, and the, those of us who have been in seminary, you, just in respect for them, you don't try to say it. You come up with a substitute word, uh, Adonai, or some other word. That's how holy that is. And when you, when you think of this word, you've sort of got a lion and the lamb because you've got, you've got the Lord when, when he announces. By the way, when do we first see it? We, we see in chapter 1 of Genesis, we only see God. It's just God. So it's plural, by the way. And then suddenly in chapter 2, when things are, are going 100% right and about to go 100% wrong, suddenly you get this Lord. It's, it's Yahweh. We just, that's a substitute word. And, and when they asked who he is, what does he say? I am that I am. I, if God said to me, I am that I am, I'd drop dead right on the spot. I mean, that, that is power. He's outside of time and space. But then when you go through the rest of the Bible, this Lord, this, this Yahweh, is the loving God. He, he's the shepherd. This is about the Father at this point. But the Son takes on the same thing. So a powerful, powerful word, Lord, that we just ignore, and in fact, it becomes a swear word. Lord, Lord help me, or, or, you know, when it's not been done in, in uh, reverence. Now we get the word shepherd. I, once, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to run it in Colorado on a, on a, on a fairly main road, about 2,000 um, sheep being taken by a, some Mexican shepherd. So I got a chance to see it. And if you've never watched on television some of the programs where you can see the dogs walking on top of the sheep and stuff, if you got your Google, look that. It's incredible what they do with those sheep. But everything is in place and protected. And e even the horses are trained in the places they stand. So shepherd, and Christmas is coming, so if you've heard all this stuff, it's not my point to review this, this um, 23rd Psalm for any other reason than to help you realize the power of your Scripture, but you have to grab onto that by, by making a little effort to see what those words now mean and, and what they might have meant at one time. You could go right by this. One more story. So I'm driving in, in Wyoming. You may know this kind of a story. And I end up in a McDonald's or something with, with this uh, Wyoming rancher. And, uh, and that was fun. He was a Christian. I said, what are you doing today? He said, well, I'm going into the schools to lecture them about where meat comes from. That's Wyoming. I think there's a fair amount of meat in Wyoming. Why? Have you ever heard where kids think meat comes from? Grocery store. I'm not kidding you. 
That was his point. He said that. They, they think it comes from the grocery store. So you see, as each generation, and this isn't just an old, I am an old geezer, but this isn't an old geezer just, just trying to shoot in the darkness. This is, we have to grasp the power of Scripture. And so many of us have it in different ways, and we have to learn how to, to be careful in reading it so we can take it for all it's worth. So shepherd will become the main word here. It's someone who has intense care for, for these animals who, who are pretty helpless creatures. And you, again, in Christmas you hear a lot about this. And then think of what this means. I shall not want. What does that mean to a generation? All of us who have been raised in plenty. There may be some people here can, that can go back to the Depression and remember it, but that's the last time we had considerable want in America. So what does that mean? Does it, I mean, let's go back to that phone. Think of how fast the new, new smartphones sell out. Because someone has a need for something, one can question whether they really have the need for it. It's an advancement on a basic thing. So what is it to want to, to a people who have never really had to want well, it's a definite, what is want? I, one more babies. I want this, I want this, I want this. And they, they build grocery stores to make you want certain things. The colors are there. The locations are there. And, and what, is, what is the agency of want in, in America and the modern West? Isn't it the advertising agencies? Is there anything any longer that we don't need? Therefore, I want. But that's not the same if you're sitting in in Nazareth, let's say in, in 500 B.C., your want is to, to have that roof stay over your head, to have three meals a day, to, to have people live in a time when they're dying through all kinds of things. I bet if we went through this group right now, we'd probably find one-third of us should be dead just because we've had pneumonia at one time or strep throat or five bypasses, that's me. Some of you have that kind of stuff, cancer. Uh, just, just the idea of aspirin. So we live in this time that nobody's ever lived in before. It seems to be changing, unfortunately. And maybe our younger people are not going to see the, the, the plenty that we've seen. But, but to live in a time where we didn't even understand the word want, which means I, I, my basic needs will be met. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, so here's your, can't stay on this forever, here's your... Um, your um, your shepherd. He's going to have a hard time finding us. He leaves me by, beside the still waters. So what do you do with water? What do I do with water? I turn it on. Flip a switch and I got it. And now this is written to people. They've got to have water or they die. Their animals have to have water or they die. What does this mean? We, we serve uh, an incredibly uh, God of provision. But we are more likely than anyone else to forget God because we're the first generations that don't need him. You understand what I mean? We do need him. Maybe more than any other generation there's ever been. And our kids need him. And the people you're going to come in contact need him. And this is all you've got for communication from heaven. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
And we've got all kinds of money being made by restoring the body, one gym after another. And churches are empty. There is a soul. There's something inside here that's talking to you now that's not made of flesh and blood. This isn't to denigrate flesh and blood. God made us as whole beings. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you know so far of, of all these things that involve moving your legs and getting from one place to another? The sheep have got to do that, and the shepherd walks with them. How significant of a word, symbolic word, is the word walk in America today? Who walks? Why do we come in here with, without heavy coats on? Because we've only got to walk 100 feet. Uh, you, you, and when you go one thing after another, who walks unless they're doing it for exercise? I've been fortunate to hike about 1,600 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail. Nearly kill yourself out there, but I don't know why anyone does it. But the point is, it was a, it was a choice of mine. Many of you exercise real hard by choice. These are people who lived incredibly difficult physical life. Think of, our, think of your great-great-grandmother, if not your, possibly your grandmother, who was still scrubbing clothes without, what do you call those things? Washboard, isn't it? Yeah, washboard. This is how much times have changed. And we, we don't realize because we haven't known anything else. So then you get it. Um, no, there's one more important thing. He, he'll see, he leads me in paths of righteousness. What would a path be in those days? Something very, very dangerous. Generally not even. You, you could fall and hurt yourself. If it's a long path, like you see Jesus passing and other times, there, there are bears out there. There mentions the bears and the lions. They're dangerous. There are bandits out there. Um, there's the weather. One thing after another. When it talks about, you know, going up to a high place, that, that takes uh, incredible energy to do that. So notice how important uh, walk is. It comes up in four, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But before I go there, one more important thing that's been lost in my time, I don't know about yours, the word name. All over Scripture, in the name of the Lord, do this in the name of the Lord. You violated my name. You've denigrated your own name. There was a time when name was everything. And some of you will remember your parents. Remember, remember the family name. Don't disgrace the family name. Now we've got hyphenated names. We have kids with four different dads. We have people who no longer live together in neighborhoods where the same names were recognized. We're all, all different places. Again, not to curse the darkness. It's what it is. But you need to understand how significant the word name is in the Bible. Here's another one for old people. So, so the back in radio days or early TV. So the, the policeman changing, ch chasing someone, and he says, stop in the name of the law. Remember that? Why? Because the name of the law is more important than the law. It covers everything the law is. So when you see this about Jesus, or you see this, you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in everything that he is and represents. And yet you can go right by that and miss the importance of name because names aren't important anymore. I know that's an exaggeration, but, but they've lost their importance. That, that's my identity. If one of you introduce yourself and give me your name, everything about you that I understand at that time, I'll associate with what, what I learned in 10 seconds or years, in another case. 
Valley of the shadow of death. I mean, valleys are, if you go in the valley at nighttime in the desert, you, you might freeze to death out there. You, you might cook in the daytime. They understand what this means. I'll fear no evil. Here's one that's improving because for finally people are starting to say there's such a thing as evil. Years ago, a psychiatrist wrote, whatever happened to sin? Psychiatrist wrote that. What, whatever happened to evil? Because we say, there is no evil. And now you're hearing more and more people say there is evil, even as we watch the news these days. <clears throat> Rod and the staff, they're, they're meant to direct. When I hike, I, I hike with a big, long walking stick, but I do it because it's helpful. But, but the shepherd does it to guide, to guide and sometimes get a little whack on the backside. So David appreciates the rod and the staff when it comforts and when it uh, redirects him. Just one more off, off, off on that one. I don't know if this happens to women as much, but a lot of young guys like myself, you go off to college, and I think you, we, we, I, I sort of played a little agnostic game, I think it was. It was. And you got to kind of question, and, and some of it was pretty sincere. But I remember one that got me until I thought it through was uh, one of those freshman kids out there said, guys said, I don't need a crutch. That's why I don't follow God. I don't need a crutch. Well, I'll tell you, the first time I needed eyeglasses, I realized I needed a crutch. It's going to happen to every single one of us as this body that we put so much confidence in gives out. What a stupid thing to say, I don't need a crutch. Is, is that there's no spiritual side of us at all that is vulnerable? Is that to say um, you can get a car wreck and, and survive it if you hit too hard? It, but, but it's one thing that's said a lot. Well, David, who's one of the most powerful kings we see in the Bible, says, I need a crutch. And that's the rod and the staff. They're symbols, though. I'm going to try to wrap up pretty soon. Um, I, I must go to five. This is a good news one. This one, there is an illustration for. And I've been trying to go through, because I do get this opportunity to preach and say, what are some things in modern times that speak to what the Bible's saying? And, and one thing that hit me, by the way, talk to people, get to know them, ask questions, especially, especially our poor kids are so lonely. And, and uh, so I, I went to see a movie. I like to go to movies. I don't like to watch them at home. And, uh, and so I, I asked the, 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 the young lady who was selling tickets, what movie do you like? And she told me, and I said, I, I don't know if you're following this uh, Taylor Swift is a big deal at the theaters now. You can go see. So, and I, I don't know anything about Taylor Swift. And uh, so I said, well, don't you like the Taylor Swift stuff? You go to that. I guess it's a big reunion. I don't know what it means. I'm an anachronism, so don't expect anything of me. But anyway, uh, I said, did you go to Taylor Swift? And she says, no, I don't like Taylor Swift. Well, that kind of threw me off. And I said, why not? And he said, well, all she does is sing about how she gets her heart broken in all kinds of genres of singing. But that's what the Bible's all about. See, when, when, by the time you finish chapter 3, you got this God who loves people so much, he provides that. And, and what do you get out of it? She done me wrong. First song I ever remember, so raise your hand if you remember, uh, Patty Page, Tennessee Waltz. 
I was dancing with my darling at the Tennessee Waltz when an old friend I happened to meet. I introduced him to my darling, and while they were dancing, my friend stole my, dar- my, my sweetheart from me. It, it's, but but it, it, it's a million songs about heartache. In the Old Testament, it's all about heartache. It's, once you get past, once you get past the, the good part, chapter 2, it's all about God saying, you know, I've loved you with this everlasting love, and what do I get back for it? I don't even want to use the terms the Bible uses because it's very, very specific about how it describes the unfaithfulness of God's people, Israel. But there is one for this. So I just gave you one for, for the whole Bible. If you're trying to communicate with young people, another way to communicate with young people is do the uh, C.S. Lewis thing. Many of you know C.S. Lewis, the great English uh, uh, writer and in his own way a theologian. And, and he loved fairy tales. And that was his business. And when, he fi- when it finally hit him, it is God is, the Bible is just a simple fairy tale. It's, it's uh, in the beginning everyone was happy. Once upon a time. Someone comes in, messes the whole thing up. You've got the evil witch of the West, whatever you want to call it. You've got to have a hero. He comes in and rescues everything. And how does the whole Bible end? They live happily ever after, right? So there's one right there for you. But I'm going to give you one more. Here's one. This is, this is beyond me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we don't really understand enemies because we don't live, we, we, we don't, worry from day to day what's going to happen. We could be on the edge of that, but we don't really worry about that. But you have in the Middle East, they did in those days, and they are right now. Um, but you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So yeah, kings were anointed, and priests were anointed, and prophets were anointed. And, and you, can you picture, picture this? Because there's another psalm that says it's like uh, the, anoint, the anointing going down the, the beard of, of uh, Aaron. You may have heard that. So how do you picture some guy just absolutely happy with the, the, this anointing oil going down him? Watch the end of the Super Bowl. What's going to happen? Those big lunks that are 350 pounds are going to pick up that 100 gallons of Gatorade or whatever. They're going to dump it over the coach. And everyone's going to be happy. And for the first time since... Uh, Training began earlier in the year. Everyone's together. The coach isn't yelling at anybody. Nobody's, and there's this. And that's what God wants for his church, by the way. That's what God wants for his people. So once in a while you come into one that, that really translates well. And then six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I, I'm going to uh, wrap up there. Um, but th- this was, see, the thing with the Old Testament, it's an incomplete sentence. It's like God said throughout the Old Testament, God so loved the world that he, God so loved the world that he, that he what? And then you get the New Testament and the lamb dies, right? And the lamb comes out of the empty grave. And then you got the New Testament. And, and so you got a period in the New Testament. You got exclamation mark all over Revelation, by the way. So I'm going to go back to McGuffey's reader. Again, to show the disadvantage we have, when you finish the, when you fin- if you ever look at fifth grade McGuffey's reader, they're reading, they're reading Hamlet in fifth grade. See, we, we like to say that the kids' education is loose now. It's been loose for a long time. But we've lost our ability to understand, use the language well or so on. So they're learning how to write script. I understand it's not used anymore. 
with young people. What we, cursive, you call it, don't you? So let me read. I don't think we were reading stuff like this at this level, at least when I was in first grade. <laughs> you got to remember, by the way, I flunked kindergarten. <laughs> I really did. So, you know, you got to watch out what I do up here. Um, this is from the uh, lesson. These are the last couple lessons. But, but think of, of a kid in that, not that they all went to school, but think of that kid days when you're hearing about, everyone knows about Noah's Ark, everybody knows about Goliath and so on, whether they believe or their parent. This was culture um, before most of us came along and it's faded away. So listen to this for a first grader. Um, do you see that tall tree? Long ago it sprang up from a small nut. Do you know who made it do so? It was God, my child. God made the world and all things in it. He made the sun to light the day and the moon to shine at night. God shows that he loves us by all that he has done for us. Should we not then love him? This is public school, by the way. Isn't, didn't, didn't they just do the 23rd Psalm? Look at all he's done. Should we not love him? And the last one in here is... When the stars that set of sun watch you from on high, when the light of morn has come, think, the Lord is nigh. All you do and all you say, he can see and hear. When you work and when you play, think, the Lord is near. All your joys and griefs he knows, sees each smile and tear. When to him you tell your woes, know the Lord will hear. So once again, I don't know what you take from that because I have to struggle with what I take. But I, I hope you'll take this. There is nothing like this in the world. There's no religion that has attempted to come close to communicating the love of God and the response of love that his people should return. Return to the 23rd Psalm often. And, and when you read the Bible, uh, read it for all it's worth. Because when you read it for all it's worth, you're seeking all that Christ is worth. And he's worth everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth. Your word is truth. And we pray that you'll go with us and fill in the gaps that we have that aren't necessarily even our own fault, that we've, we've grown up a world that's lost communication. Um, and we pray that you will communicate your, your love to us and, and have us take away from the amazing grace and amazed gratitude that will fill our lives. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.